Well, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning to a message I'm calling The Likeness of His Son. Several years ago, my oldest son, Tyler, enlisted into the United States Army. And when he graduated from basic training several weeks later, I was there. I want you to know that it was one of the greatest joys and one of the greatest honors, one of the most memorable moments of my entire life. 600 soldiers marched out onto a field. Their cadence transcended all other competing voices and sound. They all had on the same clothes, they all had on the same boots, and they all were wearing the same berets. If you would have been there in my place, it would have been your boy. You probably would have felt the same way I felt. I want you to know my heart was absolutely hijacked with expectancy. My eyes scanned the faces of those young men searching, watch this, for the one that belonged to me. In a sea of that many faces, when they're all dressed the same, they blend in pretty well. Oh, it's easy to sort out the tall ones and the wide ones, but they all kind of, if they went through basic training, they all look about the same. So it is when I search the Scriptures, my heart sprints as it searches for Jesus, the one who belongs to me. And then my heart rejoices when Jesus is found in the Scriptures and when Jesus is magnified above all things, especially religion. <laughs> that, that thrills my heart the most. He's easy to find in Bible passages that underscore and trumpet His name. But what about the passages that are more obscure? And what about the Old Testament that doesn't mention the name Jesus? Friends, it takes eyes of grace to see Daddy's beloved Son in the Scriptures. I'm going to tell you that right now. Now, this may be a hard thing for us to comprehend, but when Daddy searches the field looking for Jesus, He finds the likeness of His Son in us. We look exactly to the Father as His beloved Son Jesus the one that has been there from the beginning. And that is what I want you to see through the message today, the message I'm calling the likeness of His Son. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11, I love this scripture. I was thinking about this scripture recently and I thought, man, I have preached this scripture from left to right and I have preached it from right to left. And I have preached it from down to up and up to down, from inside and out, outside and in. But I still love this scripture. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Here is this priest. I want you to make note of his posture. He is standing and he is standing for good reason. And that's because, as I've said before, there are no chairs in the temple. He is not allowed to sit down on the job any more than the guards that guard the Buckingham Palace are allowed to sit down. He must always stand offering sacrifices. And it says, day after day, every priest stands and performs religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. How would you like to be a doctor and never see anybody get well? That would be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? I believe doctors want to see their patients get well because that's when they can say, I felt victorious. But yet this high priest is seeing this revolving door. They come, then they go. And they come back with the same issues of life, the same problems, the same condemnation, the same fear, the same guilt, the same shame. And then they leave. And then they come back, his heart has got to be almost sick. And that's why the Bible says, day after day, and week after week, and month after month, and year after again, and time after time, and occasion after occasion, and again and again. Let me tell you how ridiculous that is. That would be like if I was standing here, and Fred was standing in front of me, and Fred gave me a $100 bill, 
and I gave him five twenties. And imagine we did that all day long. Whatever time, how much ever time that priest would stand on the job. Imagine we took his whole ship. Fred, you gave me a 100, I gave you 520s. I'm going to tell you how you'd leave. You would leave with a heavier load than when you came in, number one. And number two, you would be no better off. That's how they left. With the same guilty load that they walked in with, and they were no better off because the sins could never be taken away. We have something far greater. We have something that we should treasure so much more, far greater, because our sins are not just covered, they have been taken away. I don't have any sin in me, okay? You don't have any sin in you. Our sins have been taken away. Oh, hallelujah, bless his holy name. Why was the person who brought their sacrificial lamb no further ahead? Ask the question, let's give it an answer. Because they were still carrying that load of guilt, their sins were only covered, they were not taken away like ours in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, we find these words. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, what's the reason? It's a shadow. For that reason, it can never, not once in a while, never, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated. What sacrifices was that? The same ones we just got through talking about when you went to the priest. They can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Do you see that there? They would have no longer felt guilty for their sins if they could have been cleansed once for all, but they knew they were not cleansed once for all. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 18, we find these words. But when this priest, that's Christ, had offered for all time, when he had offered for all time, how many sacrifices? One. One sacrifice for sins. Now watch what he does. Watch what Jesus does. Once he offers one sacrifice for all time, for all sins, the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of God. I want you to remember that. I want you to make note of that in your heart this morning. He sat down at the right hand of God, something that a temple priest could not do. They could not sit down. Their job was never finished. But Jesus offered one sacrifice for all time, for all sins, and then the Bible says he sat down. Where did he sit down at? He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Watch this now. For by one sacrifice, he's going to roll out what your benefit is now. He's going to say, okay, this is what it did for you. For by that one sacrifice, he, not you, he, not us, he, not we, he, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. Watch what the covenant looks like now. He says, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Please make note that the new covenant is being written on instruments of flesh, the heart, the mind, not cold tablets of stone, instruments of flesh. This is where he said, I'm going to write my new covenant. I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to write it in your mind. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them in their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Praise his holy name. Amen. That's good news, isn't it? Sacrifice for sin. That means his sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary and your sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary because his work did it right the very first time. His sacrifice continually cleanses us. 
Oh, praise your name, Jesus. We are as radiant to the Father as Jesus is because he has written on our hearts and minds with his blood this message. Jesus has written this message on our hearts. Here it is. Daddy, this one, this one has been made in the likeness of your son. This one. Yeah, you. This one. Yeah, you. This one has been made in the likeness of your son. What's the father's response? How's the father going to respond to that? I'll tell you a response to it. Son, I see your blood. Therefore, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more because I see the blood of my son. Listen, folks. If the blood of goats and lambs on the doorposts and the lintels of a home protected the Hebrews, then how much more will the blood of Jesus protect us? Come on, not, not a single one was feeble when they left. Not a single one died. It protected them. Amen. We see this truth in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, this is what God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you this plague of death, or the way we can say it today under the new covenant, this plague of condemnation. This plague of guilt, this plague of shame, this plague of fear, this plague of frustration, this plague of death, because all that is death. All those things are death. He said, this plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. We are protected by the blood of Jesus because we have been made in the likeness of his son. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, we find these words. The sun, not the sun in the sky, but the Son of God. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The radiance, the brilliance of God's glory. Watch this. He attributes that to the sun. He's saying, that's my glory. That is my brightness. He says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact, not similar, not kind of the same, but he says, he is the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word and that word sustaining literally means to nourish that we are nourished by his powerful word how powerful are these words of triumphant grace how powerful are these words that we have been made the righteousness of god in christ how powerful are these words that he will remember our sins no more the bible says the sun is the radiance of god's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. We are not sustained by our pitiful works. We are sustained by his powerful word. Mark that in your heart this morning. After he had provided purifications for sins, watch this now. Again, it says, he sat down at the right hand. Where did he sit down at? The right hand of the majesty in heaven. I want you to bookmark in your minds for a moment this morning that we have looked at two separate scriptures that emphatically tell us where God's Son is seated. He is seated at the right hand of His Father. Is that what it said? He is seated at the right hand of His Father. Now, carrying that thought over into how we benefit from that, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But because of His great love, look at the motivation, motivation counts, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Oh, what beautiful news, huh? That ought to be the headline everywhere, friend. Oh, that God is rich in mercy. God has great love for people, and He's made us alive in Christ, with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now watch this next part. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed 
in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you the question, where is Jesus seated? At the right hand of the Father, right? Where are we seated? <laughs> With Christ at the right hand of the Father. Jesus doesn't have two separate chairs, okay? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we are seated with Him in Christ at the right hand of the Father. We are made perfect forever, and then we take our seat in the likeness of His Son at the right hand of our Papa. That's how it works. It comes like that, that He makes us perfect in Him, and then He says, you know what? You're going to sit right next to my daddy with me at his right hand. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, the Bible says, you will show me the path of life. What is the path of life? That's Christ. I mean, this is an Old Testament prophecy, but the path of life is Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a life. I am the life. You will show me the path of life. Oh, I love this part. In thy presence is fullness of <laughs> fullness of joy at thy right hand. Did you see what he said there? He said it's not at your left hand. It's not down the hallway. He said at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Why are there pleasures for more at his right hand? Because that's where Jesus is seated. That's where you and I are seated. And he says, this is my pleasure. My son is the radiance of my glory. This is my pleasure. And you are seated in my son. I can't tell you from my son. You look the same to me. It's an amazing thought. We don't think like that because we compare ourselves to other people. But it's not the way God does it. God says, I see the blood. And you look exactly like my son. You're an exact representation of my boy and you are seated at my right hand as I searched the field of 600 soldiers at my son's graduation my question became where was my son among so many men and as we carry that thought over into the spiritual realm we say where is God's son among so many men it's a good question isn't it you see, quite often the church looks at a man's actions and they look at a man's behavior and then they automatically default into sin management business. In our effort to make the body of Christ clean through performance-driven Christianity, we overlook quite often the marvelous truth that this new creation that's only been saved a day or two, this new creation that's been saved a month or two, has already been made perfect in the likeness of his son. Listen, don't be so concerned about behavior. Don't be so concerned about your attitude. I'm telling you, as you get into this message of God's grace and you understand that you're seated at his right hand and that he sees you the same way he sees his son, all that other stuff will fall beside the road. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at, or the Lord looks upon, the heart. The very place that I just got through telling you that Jesus wrote the words, Daddy, this one is made in the likeness of your Son. Grace gives you and me the eyes to see the likeness of His Son hidden in the shadows of the Hebrew Scriptures. And when a believer lays aside the old covenant of law, it is like having a cataract removed from their heart. Let that sink in just a little bit. When a believer lays aside the demands and the old covenant law, it's like a cataract was just removed from your heart. A heart that couldn't see the goodness of God because that old covenant cataract was on there. And we flick that cataract off across the room into the wastebasket. Now, I see grace. Remember the song we just got through singing? I see grace sealed by your sacrifice. I see love reaching for me. I see love reaching for me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, we find this truth. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil, see that, the veil, the veil is what hides someone. 
This veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. Did you see what it said? It says there's a veil that remains when the Old Covenant is read or the Old Covenant is preached or the Old Covenant is lived, however you want to do that there. When you bring in the Old Covenant, you bring in a veil. And you cannot see. This veil is not like a bridal veil that you can see through and you can see everything. This veil is a thick cloud that comes down and you see absolutely nothing. But their minds were made dull for the, to this day. The same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Now the Apostle Paul is writing this and he said, listen, I want to tell you right now, even to this day, if you start entertaining this stuff, you start reading this stuff, you start obeying this stuff, he said that veil still remains. Did he say that? Am I in the word? Absolutely, he said it. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil, the veil is taken away. In other words, he's not just saying when you become saved, that's part of it. What he's saying is when your total reliance is upon the Lord, when you've turned to the Lord and you rely totally and trust totally in his finished work, he says that's when the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, watch this, into his image, or another way to say it, into his likeness. In other words, he's not saying now in your spirit man, he's saying in your soulish man. He's saying in that soulish man, you are continually being transformed as this message of grace, this message of God's unconditional love keeps dripping in your heart. You are continually being transformed. And we all who with unveiled faces, the veil's already off, right? It's off the face, he said contemplate the Lord's glory, and it says we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If I was to ask you, what is the first word in your English Bible, the very first word, not a trick question, what would that word be? Come on, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In, in, that's right, in. You're exactly right, because the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But in the original Hebrew Torah, in the original language that it was written in, the words in the are not present. Now, the only way you're probably going to know that is if you grab yourself a Hebrew interlinear Bible, it only puts in the words that were originally there. Yes, it will write your English words in there, but it will show you in the Hebrew, the spelling of the Hebrew words, the pronunciation of the Hebrew words, right to left, it will show you those words, but it only puts the words in that were originally there. The words in the are not there, okay? So in that case there, it begins with the word beginning. So in the original Hebrew, it started with beginning. In the is not present. Now, why did we add in the? There's many places in the English Bible we added words because we don't talk like that. We wouldn't start a sentence by saying beginning instead, unless we were saying something like, well, beginning tomorrow. But in a case like this, it wouldn't make sense. So we added words so that it would have better flow in our vernacular, okay? The Hebrew Torah begins Genesis chapter 1 with these words. Barashit bara Elohim et. Translated into English, Beginning created God, not God in the beginning, not beginning God created. It says beginning created God. Barashit barra Elohim et. The first word of the Hebrew Torah is barashit, and this word translates as beginning. Please note that the first letter of the word barashit is the Hebrew letter bet. Bet. That is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it is a picture. Listen to me carefully. It is a picture of the Son of God. I've said before, when you look at the Hebrew alphabet, it is so beautiful. It is so wonderful. It's so deep. It's almost mysterious because they have numbers built into their letters. They have word pictures built into them. They have pictographs. They have definitions. They have expressions. Their letters are so deep. The first letter of Barashit is Bet. Now, Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, 
represents Father. It is the father of all letters, and when you look at Aleph, it looks the most robust. Aleph is powerful man. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it represents father. And then the next letter is bet. It means the son of God. And as I was meditating on that last night, I thought, wow, I want you to picture this. Here is Aleph. The alphabet in Hebrew reads from right to left. In English, we write from left to right. In Hebrew, they write from the opposite way, from right to left. If I am Aleph, the father of all creation, and I'm looking out over all beautiful creation, everything I've done, look at all this glory. Look how awesome everything is. Look at man, how beautiful he is. And as I was meditating on that, I thought, wow, that means if the father is represented by Aleph and the son is represented by the next letter, Bet, that means Bet is right here. Remember, it moves from right to left. Father, son, where's the son at? He's at the right hand of the father. They're in agreement with one another. They're both looking at everything daddy's done. They're looking at what Jesus has made. They love it. It is Aleph, and right next to the father is the son of God at his right hand forevermore. But I think it interesting that the father, when he wrote Genesis, and he said to Moses, I want you to write this, Moses. I'm going to give you the words. And he said, I want to start this Bible with the word barashit. Barashit. Because the first thing right out of the gate, I want my son showcased. That first letter of Barashit, the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the very first letter of the first word, there's my son. My son was in the beginning. And that's exactly what that word means, beginning. There's my son. Knowing that Jesus, the Son of God, was with his Father in the beginning of creation brings wonderful clarity to the Apostle John's opening declaration in John chapter 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, do you see how John did that? Let's go back. Not just in the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He says, in the beginning, just exactly the way Genesis opened up. He said, in the beginning was the Word. And that Word is capitalized. Meaning it's more than just a voice. It's more than just a word. He's talking about Christ here. He says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, He was with God. Jesus was not made somewhere down the road, okay? He was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Who? Christ. All things were made by the Word. All things were made by the Son of God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, it seems like a little bit of a tongue twister there because he used that word made three times in that one verse right there. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And it goes on to say, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. You see, Jesus wasn't just there in the beginning of time as we know it. Jesus was in his glorious position at the Father's right hand in the very first word and letter penned by Moses, Barashit. It means Son of God in the beginning next to the Father. How cool is that? And then we move into that second word. We get past Barashit and we move into Barra. Barra, just in case you missed it in Barashit. We step into Barra, Barra. Bara is, is where we get our English word created. Remember, it starts by saying, beginning created Elohim. Okay, beginning created Elohim. Created comes from that word bara. It's made of three Hebrew letters, bet, resh, and aleph. Those are the three letters that make up this word bara. And you can hear them, bet, ba, resh, ra, and then aleph, bara. Barah. That's how you get this word, Barah. Bet, Resh, Aleph. Bet means the Son of God. Resh is a picture of a head. The word picture for Resh is head. Head signifies authority. Head of state, authority. Head of household, authority. Head of security, 
authority. So resh means head, it means authority. And then we have aleph. Aleph means father. So in this word, bara, bara, it literally says, son of God has the authority of the father. Son of God, bet, has authority, resh, aleph, the father. Son of God has the authority of the father. Now, now with that thought in mind, this is in the beginning. This is God saying, this is the way I'm going to start this word. This is the way I'm going to hide my son. This is the way you're going to discover him later. This is the way he's going to be confirmed later. Now, when we step into a scripture like Matthew 28, 18, now this scripture makes sense when it says, and Jesus came to them and spake unto them saying, all authority, all rich, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Oh, praise his holy name. In heaven, he said, all the authority in heaven is mine. All things were made by me. All things were created by me. And without me was nothing made that was made. All authority in heaven, all authority on earth. I guess that covers all the dimensions, doesn't it? Oh, praise his holy name. You know, when I used to look at that scripture, I go, okay, I get it. But when you start blending that with God's heart and what God thinks about his son, you can see why. Because from day one, he said, I want to showcase my boy. I want to showcase my son. Then Acts 4.12 begins to take on a new dimension as well. It's said about Jesus, neither is there salvation in any other. I want to tell you something. You can tell me there's all kinds of paths to God and there's all kinds of ways to God. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, not a way. He said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When he said name there, he said, there's no other name under heaven. He was literally saying, there is no other authority. There's no other authority that can grant you salvation. Only me, only me. My Father has given me all authority. And when He sees my blood, when He sees my blood on your heart where I wrote the words, Daddy, this one is made in the likeness of your Son, my Father will pass over with His wrath. My Father will pass over with His judgment on you. My Father will pass over with His condemnation on you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then let's deal with this one other thing here. And that is, when those first three words were written, Barashit, Bara Elohim. You see, probably most of the names of God, he's got a whole bunch of different names they call him by in the Old Testament. They begin with that letter, Aleph. Even Elohim. See, there is no E in the Hebrew. It's A, Elohim. Even Elohim begins with that Aleph. Adonai, Aleph, Aleph. So, when they wrote those words, Barashit, Barra, Elohim, then right after that came something that's pronounced as Et. Et. You know what it was? It was the Aleph Tav. See, it reads from right to left. I told you how robust that Aleph is. That Aleph is masculine. Aleph, Tav. This is so strange. I believe when Moses penned these words, he had no clue what he was writing. He heard God say, Moses, I want you to start off with Barashit. He said, I, I know that word, Daddy. Barra, I got that one. Elohim, oh, I definitely got that one, Daddy. Et. What? You cough, Daddy? What's going on here? No, it. I want you to write Aleph Tav. Okay, Daddy, I know your voice. I'm going to write Aleph Tav. I don't think he understood it. And I guarantee the ancients never understood it. As they would read the Bible, the scribes would copy that original scroll and they would get to that part right out of the gate and they'd go, why would there be an Aleph Tav right there? That would be like me writing you a, an email and saying, David, I'm coming to your house for supper next Friday night. But somewhere between coming and to, I wrote A-Z. I'm coming A-Z to your house. You'd be like, A-Z? 
That's how weird this was, because that's what that means. The Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so sandwiched right in between those words is the Aleph Tav, and it's in many different places. It's not the only place, but right out of the gate, I felt God saying, listen, if you missed him in Barashit, I gotcha. If you missed him in Barah, you weren't listening. But here he is again. Here's another opportunity for you to look at Aleph Tav. The father had hidden his son in the opening text of the Hebrew Torah. Looking back now, because we have the New Testament, we have had Jesus here with us, among us. So it makes sense to us because now we step into Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. And Jesus said these words. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He said, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. He said, I am the beginning. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I'm the first and I am the last. The Aleph. What is that a picture of? The Father. It's a picture of the Father And if you look up the letter Tav in the Hebrew to see what is the word association with the letter Tav, guess what it is? It is the cross. I find that interesting considering there had been no crucifixions when this was written. Yet the word picture for Tav is a cross. So when you look at that, you see Father and you see cross. It is though Jesus was saying, Father, oh, Daddy, I'm having a wonderful time creating everything. But I am very, very aware, Daddy, that this creation will ultimately lead me to the cross. But Daddy, let's make man. Let's make man. Why would God make man if he knew man was going to sin? and he knew man was going to break his heart, and he knew man was going to fall, and he knew man was going to fail. I want to tell you something. It's the same reason you and I have kids. Do you really believe that your kids will never skin their knee? Do you believe they'll never break your heart? I mean, we wish that wasn't the case, but come on, be real for a second here, okay? Yes, the father could look down the road, but he said, I still want my sons and daughters. Yes, they're going to fail, but I've got a remedy for that. I know how to correct that. I do. Day by day, Daddy and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in perfect harmony as they create a breathtaking world. Then on the sixth day of creation, it is time for man. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we find these words. Then God said, let us, draw your eyes like binoculars to the word us, okay? Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. (laughs) In our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created. There's that word again, barah. Barah, remember, Bet Resh Aleph, the Son of God has the authority of the Father. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. Now do you see where John borrowed that from? See, three times you see the word created. John was using the word made, and nothing made without him that was made. But John reached all the way back in the beginning, and he said, this is where I'm going to borrow it from. I'm going to make it look like it was my own, but this is where I got it from. Amen. And God does exactly what he set out to do. He creates man in his image and the likeness of his son. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Hebrew word for man is Adam. He called him what he was. He said, you're a man. The Hebrew word for man is Adam. Adam is made from three Hebrew letters. Aleph, Ah. Dalet, da. 
and mem. Adam. It's made from those three Hebrew letters. Remember the Aleph is the father. And the father said, I'm going to put my signature on you, son. When I breathe into your nostrils the breath of life, that is going to be my signature. I'm going to craft you in such a way you're just so irresistible. You're so beautiful. Aleph. Just like my name. Your name's going to start with it. And then Dalet. Adam. Dalet. Dalet in the Hebrew is a picture for door. And then you have mm, mem, mem, mem. Mem in the Hebrew is a picture for water. So what you see here is you see all of creation because Jesus said in John chapter 10, what did he say? He said, I am the door. Not a door, I am the door. I'm the same door that made Adam back in the garden. And the Holy Spirit is a picture of the water in the, in the Bible. We can see that in many places. But if you want the scriptures, I believe, that are the most classic ones that explain the, the Holy Spirit as the water, Jesus was saying these words in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, when he came out of the feast, he sa it said, on that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Watch what he says in verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believeth on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Friends, the Father was there in the beginning. Christ was there in the beginning. The Holy Spirit was there in the beginning. And the same Father that was there and the same Jesus that was there and the same Holy Spirit that was there to create and do such marvelous works is in us, lives in us today. He's not just hovering over the waters like he was when Genesis opened. He wasn't just moving on the waters. He's inside of us. Oh, we have something far greater. And it didn't take Adam long to fail, did it? Listen, I didn't come here today to accentuate Adam's failure. I came here to magnify God's grace. But Adam did fail. And I'm going to tell you why he failed, because Adam was under a law. You say, no, wait a minute. No, the law didn't come for thousands. He wasn't under the law. He wasn't under the Mosaic law, but he was still under a law. And that law was, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of that, you shall surely die. That is off limits, Adam. That is law. Do not eat from that tree. So the difference between that Adam, the first Adam, and the last Adam, when the last Adam came and hung on a cross, that Adam right there said, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm never going to put you under another law that you can break something, you can do something for you to lose your innocence. You're going to constantly be innocent. You're going to constantly be seen as the likeness of his son. Friends, Adam failed. He skinned his knees and he skinned all of humanity's hearts. Jesus would ultimately shed his blood on an old rugged cross so that he could cry out, Aleph! Tav! Father! Cross! Daddy! Finished! Do you see that? He said, I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I'm the first and I'm the last. And every time the daddy looks at the cross, it reminds him of his son and what his son did for us. How can a father be mad at you when his son paid for every single one of your sins? He paid for every one of your wrong-headed thoughts. He paid for every one of your transgressions. He can never, ever, ever be mad at you ever again. Oh, this makes me happy. Knowing this truth makes me happy. Jesus was like saying, wow, they're not going to get that I left tab for a long time. Daddy, can we just tell them right now? No, no, son, we can't tell them yet. But the Father and the cross. And between the Father and that cross was His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, hanging on that cross. Now at last we could receive the precious blood of Jesus and know that we are forgiven once for all. Every time the Father looks at us, He sees us in the likeness of His Son, Jesus. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, the Bible says, since we have now been justified by His blood. 
See, the Bible starts off by telling us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 that we have been justified by faith. But as you just keep on reading, you get down about eight more verses, it will tell you, yeah, that is what he gave you. And that's what allows you to access this. But I want to take you back even before that. You, first of all, have been justified by my blood. I'm in the Word. Romans chapter 5, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him through him we're saved from God's wrath through him we don't have the first Adam's blood we have Jesus's blood so what does all that mean to us in wrapping this message up I'll tell you what it means moved by the Holy Spirit the Apostle Paul penned what I believe to be the greatest book of the Bible it is the book of Romans you know I have a passion with Romans Throughout Romans, the Apostle Paul resolutely constructs his case for grace so that when we step into that eighth chapter of Romans, we can embrace the Father's love for us. You see, he's already walked us through we were sinners. He's already walked us through God poured out his love. He's already walked us through the propitiation for our sins. He's already walked us through that we've been reconciled. We've died and we've been buried. We've been crucified. We've been buried. We've been risen in newness of life. He has been skillfully walking us through that. He's already told us you're not under the law anymore, for you're under grace. And all through those chapters, chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, he just keeps coming at it from different angles so that when we step into this glorious chapter chapter 8 we find these amazing promises from our daddy that we are conformed to the likeness of his son Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 39 in closing and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed watch this now to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There's a doctrine out that talks about predestination, that don't worry, I mean, you really have no choice. If God selected you, then you're going to go to heaven with him someday. If he didn't pick you, then you're one of those unfortunate ones you won't go. It's almost like God is going down the street and he's stopping at every house and he's saying, heaven for you, heaven for you, hell for you, hell for you, heaven for you, hell for you, heaven for you. And like there's nothing we can do about it. And I've heard this by some very close friends. They believe this way. Let me tell you something. When it talks about these scriptures right here, let me say it this way. We just had a solar eclipse recently. Do you know the next one, the next solar eclipse that will pass over the Kenosha area will be in 2099. We'll all be with Jesus by then. 2099, it'll come right over Kenosha. You don't have to go run anywhere to watch it. Just stick around long enough. You'll be here. You'll see. I find it amazing. They can tell you what day of the week it's going to be. They can tell you the month. They can tell you the year. They can tell you the time of day. They can, in fact, they can look out there. If you look at the globe, you can see these strips and these bands, all these different years all over the world, exactly where they'll come down. Let me say this. Astronomers can tell you with accuracy when that next solar eclipse will come but they are not the one who causes it to come. It was the same thing with God. He said, listen, I can look down the timeline of man. I can tell you who's going to be saved. I can tell you who's going to be conformed into the likeness of my son, but I don't make you do it, but I can tell you. But it wasn't me that just said, no, you're not worthy. No, the Bible says he died for all, once for all. All people he died for. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, that literally means to be declared righteous. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? All the things you've been hearing, what are you going to say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a good response, isn't it? If God is for me, who cares who's against me? I don't know who is, but who cares? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then it says, He who did not spare His only Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? He said, I'll tell you who it is. No one. 
I wish I could take credit for writing these words. I didn't write them. They were already there. He said, who is it that condemned? No one. It doesn't mean that somebody's not going to condemn you, but God is not listening to them. And then he says, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, watch this, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What glorious news. That son of mine that graduated from the army a couple of years ago called me. He's in North Carolina. He said, Daddy, I was at a gas station getting gas a couple of nights ago minding my own business. And he said, a man over on one of the other gas pumps was staring at me. Daddy, he said, finally, he called me by my last name. He said, Testerman? And my son said, yeah. Yeah, that's me. He said, what's your first name? Tyler. My son is totally freaked out. North Carolina. And this man says, is your daddy named Mark? Well, the first thing he's thinking is probably I can't go anywhere and get away from my daddy. And he said, yeah, my daddy is Mark. He said, I want you to know something. He said, I used to hang around with your daddy about 30 some years ago. And he said, I knew it had to be you because you look just like your daddy. I've not seen him in 30-some years, but he said, you look just like your daddy. Friends, I'm telling you, we look just like Christ. When daddy looks at us, he said, that is my son. You were made in the likeness of his son. Father, I have had a wonderful time preaching this word. I'm so grateful for it, Daddy. I want to thank you, though, Father, for these wonderful nuggets of truth that were hidden deep in the earth, but you have brought them to the surface, Daddy. Thank you, Father, that we have been conformed in the likeness of Christ, and we are seated with him in heavenly places at your right hand where there's treasures and pleasures forevermore. I want to thank you, Father, because of what Jesus did, because Jesus wrote that new covenant on our heart, because he wrote it with his own blood, and he said, Daddy, I'm here to remind you, Father. They're made in the likeness of your son. And when you look at us, Daddy, you say, that's awesome, son. Barashit barra Elohim et. From the Aleph to the Tav, you have reminded me this day it began with me and you, son, in creation, and it ended with a cross, and that's good enough for me. In Jesus' name, amen.